other ways, conversations about living life a little differently. I'm Fiona Barrows, a business mentor and brand strategist for creators. guest is Huma Qureshi from Our Storytime. Huma is an award-winning writer and author and the creator of the blog Our Storytime and two online writing courses. I absolutely adore her writing and find it really magical and thoughtful and she was just the same in person um, or over Skype rather. We chatted about how and why she decided to walk away from full-time journalism, why she writes and the value of sharing our stories and writing from a place of quiet intention. Our conversation gave me a lot to think about and I think it was exactly what I needed to hear right then, so I'm very, very grateful for that. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, Huma. Hi, Fiona. How are you today? I'm really well, actually. Thank you. Oh, good. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk to me. Not at all. I've been wanting to chat to you because I I really like your podcast. So it's always really nice to do a podcast that you like. Oh, thank (laughs) you so much. It's always really nice when uh, guests say that when they've uh, listened to a few episodes. I really, yeah, it's really nice. So thank you. Um, And so for anyone who uh, hasn't come across you before, would you mind just sort of introducing yourself and uh, saying a little bit about who you are and what you do and how you are living life a little differently? Sure. So I am Huma, uh, Huma Qureshi. I am a writer and an author um, and I write on my blog as Storytime. I've written a book of short stories. I'm writing my second book and um, I live life a little differently because I realised that I wasn't going to be defined by other people's boxes anymore and I was going to kind of do what I wanted to do um, and it took me a while to realize that that was an option to see things differently um, and to set your own standards and not somebody else's so that's what I'm trying to do which I suppose is not really that similar to what a lot of people who be listening in are also trying to do so just trying to find your creative path and living by it. Yeah and um, when you say uh, boxes what sort of boxes did you sort of feel that you were sort of being put into I guess? Sure. So I um, I started off my career as a journalist and I worked on a national newspaper for many years and I was very lucky that that was my first job. But I think once you're in that mode and you start writing, um, I began writing more first person pieces and so on. And I think I began to feel like I was being put into a box of what I could and could not write about. And it wasn't, um, it didn't necessarily have to be a formal box. It's just how I Belt, and I realized um, at some point that if I didn't make a change, I would then be writing what other people wanted me to write and expected of me rather than pursuing the stories that I actually wanted to tell. Um, I think at the time that I was on the newspaper, um, it was uh, a time when there were not a lot of other voices, uh, if I put it that way. There weren't a lot of um, ethnic minorities working on national newspapers there was literally just a handful of people's bylines you would know each other because your name stood out and there weren't other people writing like you so at some point I began writing and we're talking sort of um mid to early to mid 2000s I guess um no sorry that makes me much older than I really am I'm talking (laughs) talking mid to late 2000 and like from 2004 five onwards I guess you know things were um political um and I was a young British Muslim Asian 
female writing on a national newspaper. There was maybe three others of us doing the same thing, you know, Um, not very representative of the country or the readerships. But I, at first, really liked writing these pieces because, firstly, it gave me a great exposure, great experience. And it gave me a voice piece that, you know, I was able to write pieces that I'd never read when I was growing up um, or reading the newspapers as a student or at university. And that felt really huge at the time to, to sort of carry that. But I was conscious that the more I wrote about those topics, the more that was what was expected of me. Um, If I wrote as a British Muslim female Asian young woman, I would get invited to come on TV as a British female Asian young Muslim woman. And there were other stories that I had in me that I wanted to tell that weren't just my stories. Now, I am a a writer, I'm an author, I'm a storyteller. I want to share other stories, other people's stories. I want to share stories of loss and love and hope and sadness and all, you know, all sorts of other things that aren't just defined by politics and society. Um, And so that, I think that was the first sort of turning point for me was quite um, a big step to take at a I say in my late, I was in my late 20s. Um, so I'd been working on the newspaper for quite a while. Um, I was very, very lucky. It was my first job was on a national. So I was there for a good number of years to start my career. But it was quite a big step for me to say, actually, I'm going to go freelance because I think that's going to be better for me. Um, and at the time, I, yeah, I felt like it was a big risk because who says no to a job in a national newspaper? Mm. Very, very few people. That's why there was very few opportunities at these places because once you're in, you're in and you stay there and, you know, you'll see all the editors have been there for years since they were like 21 and they just they stay there. But I couldn't, I, I just was a bit anxious of what that would mean for me because, like I said, it, it mattered to me that I told other stories, that, that I interviewed other people, that I shared some wider perspectives that weren't limited by background or heritage but were just more sort of feeling driven more than anything else and I did a lot then and when I went freelance I then was able to explore that I was able to write the stories of um a sort of quiet everyday stories that wouldn't otherwise get told and that in turn informed what became my book um in spite of oceans as well so that was the biggest sort of not ticking boxes um, thing that I came across first. But I think as I've grown, I find myself doing it a little bit more as well. Sort of, you know, when you become a mother, um, there's a certain, I suppose, expectation um, when people see you as a stay-at-home mum, when really you're not stay-at-home mum, you're actually doing everything. Mm. You're being creative and you're writing and you're exploring. And just because you don't have a conventional maternity leave or a conventional job to go back to after you've had your kids it doesn't mean that you're not still being productive and of course it doesn't mean that you have to be productive you might well choose not to be so I think as I've grown I've I've sort of um quietly challenged other people's expectations perhaps um or at least I feel I have I mean other people might not even have noticed (laughs) but I feel I feel like I'm doing it for me more than anyone else anyway. So just finding my way and and being brave enough to decide what I want to do. Um, and I suppose another, t- another example of that is also stepping back from journalism as well. Um, that sort of expectation that once you've always done something, you will therefore always 
do it. Mm. Um, whereas I'm not now. I've made a conscious choice of where my writing is going to lie and what is better for me and for my lifestyle. So that's been a big um, sort of defining myself by myself and not by a job title as well. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. And I think it um, echoes what quite a few of my guests on here have said about sort of like taking the step to really be intentional about the sort of life yes. that they want to lead and not just kind of going with what's expected of them. Absolutely. In fact, I um, intentional, like that word means mm. a lot to me because it's something I try to carry in my head um, to always have some sort of focus. And I don't mean it in a goal orientated way. I just mean it in holding a value that's true to you I, I guess that's what I try to do in my writing so when I write a piece I I, I kind of need to know just for me that it's coming from me it's coming from my heart it's what I need to do and that's my intention um rather than offering value to your readers and things like that like that to me feels a bit remote and a little bit distant whereas if I know I'm doing something intentionally for me it feels like if it therefore then makes readers connect with me in some way or it inspires them or moves them or they want to drop me a line to say they thought that was really beautiful or whatever that to me is the cherry on top it's the extra bonus um but putting myself first in a way has been something that I've had to work at um, to get to this point, to be confident enough to sort of make these decisions. But having intention has become a new perspective to, to look at things. You know, you begin to see things not just for um, salary and pay or uh, scope of readership or whatever. You kind of just, you've got to be a bit kinder to yourself as well and not put all those expectations on yourself and holding intention really lets me keep things in perspective mm. um so i want to kind of come back to um the blogging write, writing piece of what you just said but um just sort of going backwards so how did it feel when you made that step away from the national newspaper because i think it's interesting that you sort of described it sort of like then it's almost like you set off like a, a domino's um, trail in a way because you make that one decision to live life a little differently and then it sort of like has a bit of a knock-on effect I guess yeah it did so I um I I began on uh, on the newspaper I began on the Guardian I don't need to not say the name but I started <laughs> off on the Guardian or the Observer actually in those days oh, there okay. were two sort of separate entities and then became much closer together and all of that um, so that's when I started in my um, early 20s-ish. I was finishing off my postgrad and I did an internship there and was very fortunate that they offered me a job there and then as my internship ended. So, of course, I was over the moon. It was all I ever wanted to do because at that point, all I ever wanted to do was to be a writer. But for me, the only way you could actually make a living out of it, in my understanding of it, and that day and age was that you had to be a journalist if I wanted to write every day you can't just sit at home and write books uh you you do something with it I didn't want to be a copywriter I didn't want to do that kind of I wanted to be doing what I felt was real writing um journalism offered me that and um, also offered me lots of other things I you know I was kind of grew up in a newspaper world just because they were so prevalent in my home and my upbringing you know getting the newspaper reading it with my parents was something that we just did daily in fact and it actually kind of shocks me to say that I don't have a daily newspaper at home because now we just read it 
online <laughs> whereas I think growing up with it physically having pages to turn you know it really immersed me into that it was something I wanted to do I had my favorite sections in the newspaper when I was about 11 years old so it wasn't like it was oh this is one way to do it this was all something I had always wanted to do um and then I guess I stayed there I was staff I was a reporter I was a features writer we merged with the Guardian I started doing a lot more crossover stuff across platforms um and when I then went freelance, I carried on, but I got to write for a lot more newspapers. I was writing for The Times and The Independent. I was writing for magazines, The New Statesman, um, Psychologies, all these different places. And when I had my kid, my first child, I that was when I was writing my book. I don't mean to give you a potted chronology of my life here, but no, no, it's really, um, it's really it, interesting. It, all, it gets there in the end. But so basically, I took. I stepped out of journalism to write my first book. I just took about a year to to write it. And it was actually, that was a bit of a turning point in answer to your question, because it was the first time I was given so much time and space just to write one thing and write one long thing and spend so much time on it. To me, was quite a gift really I was very very lucky that I got offered that book deal I was very lucky that I was able to step back from journalism and just focus on the book um and I think that was my first taste of not having to pitch not having to deal with the rejections that would come from pitches because I got rejected too um not have to chase up payments not have to write tiny pieces or very very long pieces for like 90 pounds which is something that the nationals would do you know like I, I the you don't get a lot of money for what you write um and you know it was pretty it was just a different experience of just being able to write what I wanted to write of course I had an editor who still you know I still had a brief I still had a book that was to be signed off and, you know, things like that. I still had an agent who had certain expectations of what I was going to write. But I was largely left to my own devices. And that was really liberating because, you know, I wasn't getting a sub-editor call me when I'm trying to make the kids dinners to fact check something. Or uh, do you know what I mean? I wasn't having to pacify somebody that I'd interviewed because whoever wrote the headline had upset them. And, you know, I wasn't having to do all of that stuff. And that was really, really liberating. And that gave me my first taste of what life could be like if I was in fact just writing for myself um rather than everyone else that's involved when you are working so hard as a freelancer um and then I carried on freelancing though you know I wasn't in a position to just you know write a book and then sit back um I had my second child um and I was still freelancing quite a bit then but by then I'd very limited really limited what I was writing on I only wanted to do stuff that made me um genuinely interested in doing it but also enjoyed so I didn't want to just pitch stuff I think when you're a freelancer in journalism at that level there is a tendency to just pitch like a maniac Mm -hmm. because you need your bylines and you need to be visible and you need to be seen regularly you need editors to not have to wonder who you are you need them to oh yeah she got a byline the other day yeah then no problem we'll commission her kind of thing you you it's hard and it's very um relentless it's not something I think there's this misconception that oh you can be a freelance journalist and work around your kids Mm -hmm. and it's actually 
you can't because you have to be in it full more than full time all the time you you need to if you're not writing and pitching you've got to be bang up to speed with exactly what's going on in the news you've got to be ahead of the research you've got to know what's coming out you've got to work your contacts and all of that stuff and I think when I had my second child and I was still freelancing I was still doing I was doing nice stuff you know I was doing pieces for the book section interviews with authors I was doing stuff I liked and loved but it was still um I distinctly remember I was trying to get the kids dinner on the table I'd just filed a fairly big piece and I was getting phone calls left right and center because there was a bit of miscommunication between the sub-editor and the editor and blah 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 and and it just was something I could I just felt like I can't I don't want to do this I don't want to be in trying to do this life whilst also having that life calling me up every five minutes to double check a fact that they could google (laughs) with no disrespect (laughs) but it just felt like a game I didn't want to have to play and I didn't need to have to play at that time um you know my second child I think he was only about four months then and I didn't take a conventional maternity leave at either of my pregnancies because I was writing a book the first time and the second time I just carried on and I had the book I think the book was coming out when my second child was born I think so there was a lot of publicity around it and that included me writing articles which referenced my own book and stuff like that so it um it's it it just felt like something I didn't need to have to do it just got a little bit too much on my plate and what felt quite good was being able to see it as that and rather than let myself crumble into it like oh my god I can't keep up it was it was quite as simple as do you know what? I'm just not going to do that. This is just not working right now because I don't want to have to be shushing my kids when they need me because someone important has phoned me up about a piece. Like it just felt like that my priorities were not wrong, but they were in danger of being tipped because I was aware of what I wanted to do and I wanted to enjoy that time with my kids. I didn't have a maternity leave, but I wasn't not with I was with them but I was still doing all this writing stuff in and around you know nap times and bedtime and all of that so but I actually wanted to spend the time I had with them with them and that this kind of world of deadlines and it just wasn't fitting in with that it didn't fit in with nap time and bedtime and dinner time and bath time so something had to give and I wanted it to give I think that's the crucial point is is that it was totally my choice to step back from that I didn't feel like I didn't have a choice or I wasn't asked or you know um so that uh that really that understanding that sort of realization of what I wanted my life to look like with my family was what helped me take a very conscious step back that's not to say it hasn't been hard though because it is there are times when I'll see my friends doing so well um and now I do I wonder like if I pitched today would they even remember me I think they would (laughs) um but it's it's you know that was a career that I worked very hard for from a very young age and was considered to have been doing really well at by third parties um objectively and it does sometimes make you think well if I'd stayed there where would I have been now what kind of profile would I have had now what kind of name would I have had now but equally 
if I had not have stayed there, I wouldn't have written a book. Mm. I wouldn't have, uh, and that ultimately was is a big thing that I'd wanted to do. And I wouldn't have set off on this journey that I am now on, which is writing another book and writing in a more conscious way, I guess, for myself and for my lovely readers that I feel really connected with through my blog as well. So, yeah, it's not the same as having a weekly byline. It's not the same as having a column in the national press. Though I do have a column somewhere else though, <laughs> in, a, in a smaller magazine, but it's not it's not the same. But it's what I have chosen to do and it's what I want to do. It doesn't feel like stepping back so much as it does um, just t- taking a little twirl and seeing where it goes. I really like that. And I think it's really interesting because I think it pulls up something that I think about a lot, that we sometimes we chase sort of like dream jobs. And I'm sort of using quote marks here. And I think that for many people, your journalism career would have been that. But they don't necessarily mean the dream life, that it's that sort of, it's a job itself might be great, but if it doesn't let you lead the life that you want, then I don't know, then it's, is it, is it worth it? Yeah, I think that's, you see, that's, the decision that I had to make but I was able to make it right quickly possibly because I'd done it for so long already by that point possibly because I'd already been staff I'd done Mm. like what you say was a dream job and I remember actually my I remember when the devil wears Prada came out which is such an old movie that I really am I do feel old now when I reference things like that but I distinctly remember a line in there about how like a, a million girls would kill yes. to have that job um um I my <laughs> um someone I worked with I remember this and she was quite funny and I'd sort of grumble about something that I was oh god I have to write this like some kind of filler piece or whatever and she'd come out with that line to kind of make me both both to tease me but also to slightly put me in my place as well so you know a million other interns would have killed for this reporter job and it's like <laughs> Yes, I know. It still doesn't mean that I want to write the news in brief. But yeah, you're right. You don't. It, I think because I'd already, if I hadn't have had a staff position, I think things might have, I might have viewed things differently. Mm-hmm. I think that might have been my goal. But because that happened first, um, and it, that time was brilliant. I loved my job. It was exciting and amazing and important and felt like I was making a difference I had a voice that was heard and was seen and was asked for and that was pretty good but I also didn't want that to be the only thing that defined me now Mm. um so it just feels good to kind of look back with fondness but also knowing I've done that and I probably willingly they asked me in tomorrow I don't think I don't want to do it I don't want to be somebody else's I think once you have a taste of working for yourself, mm. for writing for yourself, I, I, I think you'd probably agree with me that you, it's very difficult to then think about going back to some kind of employer hierarchy and payroll and HR and lunch hours and what time are you going for lunch? And, you know, like, you can't, I just different world and I don't want to do that yeah, it's, the, it's the having to ask for permission I think that I would really struggle with permission to sort of take time yeah. off or to 
I, I just think I would find all of that really hard. Um, but yeah. our, our story time started off as a online shop, is that right? It did indeed. And this is, an, I guess, another kind of really random <laughs> thing that's happened. Um, but yeah, so our story, our story time came about um, in a nutshell when I was pregnant with baby number three. So uh, uh, I guess every pregnancy has marked a sort of turning point for me. The first one being the book, the second one uh, being the realisation that I didn't want to pursue journalism anymore and sort of the realization of what my family life would be with more than one child as well um and then the third pregnancy came about the realization that I wanted to um I was desperate to do something creative I was itching for it and I had started writing my second book then um which was fiction and it was going pretty well. And I was due to submit my chapters uh, to my agent who would then, you know, take it forward. But I happened to fall terribly sick with my third pregnancy and I just couldn't do it. And for someone, you know, a kind of kind of type A person, I guess, <laughs> um, you know, I never missed a deadline in my life I missed this deadline and fine it wasn't an official formal red mark or anything but you know we'd agreed a date I said I would send it in I had a little schedule in my head that if I sent in my first chapters then I'd just write my second one then and you know that it would get all get done before baby's born and mm. you know that's it I can tick it off my list um and I couldn't do it because I was physically very um a very severe uh, pregnancy sickness and it was quite debilitating um so I was kind of I was despairing I guess of the fact that I had failed to deliver on this one occasion in my life but it felt like it was a big occasion I felt like I I had to do it at that point in time because otherwise you know then you're gonna have a baby and then then when was I gonna do it like if I didn't do it at that particular point it seemed like the next point was going to be very far away so I felt very let down by myself and by my body that I couldn't do what I was meant to have done so anyway that phase um sort of came upon me in it all even though I'd sort of explained like it's just not going to happen and I had to come to terms with that that this book number two at that point wasn't going to happen um and of course everyone was understanding everyone who needed to know about it whatever they were all fine with it because this is life um I felt like I just had to do something else to partly take my mind off it and to partly just feel like I could hold on to some kind of normality whilst my body was going through all these changes again. Um, so I would be like lying in bed. I couldn't really get up the stairs at some points. Um, our bedroom is downstairs for layout purposes. But, you know, to get upstairs, I couldn't. I'd kind of be crawling up the stairs because I'd be in a lot of pain and it was very difficult. But so the rest of the time I was pretty much laid up in bed and my husband was brilliant. He took a lot of time off um, to sort of be with the other children and take care of me as well. And this left me with time in bed and I would be kind of 
needing distraction and I guess other people might watch movies and stuff but I <laughs> I don't know where or how I got the idea but I was like no I need to do something I need to create something so that I feel like I've done something mm. I can't just lie here and be sick and feel sorry for myself because if I keep doing that all I'm going to do is just wallow about the fact that I didn't send my chapters for my um uh, other drafting and that that I would just keep beating myself up about it so I kind of just needed to move on from that and I needed to forget that um so I decided to to set up an online store and it really was like a just a click I wanted to do something I felt like doing something visual would be kind of satisfy that craving I had to just make something and craft something um and that's what I did and it kind of took a lot of um yeah it was a massive distraction and it worked because it pulled me out of that slump it gave me a chance to because I I, yeah I do I like interiors and I like style and I'm I'm deputy editor of 91 magazine which lets me indulge in that side of things um which is obviously very different to the kind of writing that I do now but let me indulge in that more playful side of creativity Mm. um and I got it all up and running and I do look back and I think gosh I was kind of nuts to do all that but I think once I get an idea into my head it's very hard for me to let it go um and so I just did it and I it got me up out of bed to take photos of pretty things and put them on a website and I think just that technical kind of um, setting up a website on Squarespace and stuff like that it was stuff I could tick off a list I could do it I could feel like I'd achieved something that was really what drove it underlying you know mm-hmm. that was what made it happen and and yeah so that's what happened um and at some point on there I started a blog but at some point I realized that I really hated blogging as a shop and I also, I guess my heart wasn't really in the shop. But I mean, I've got no connection to that. But I did want to do something that was visual. And then once I'd done it, I realized the rest of it just, it is still, it's a business. So you don't really make much money on small quantities of handmade stock that is very expensive for you to buy before it becomes even more expensive for someone else to buy. So it just didn't make much logical sense. However, the blog... I started writing on the blog. I just sort of shunned all business advice and decided to write the blog just as me, um, as Hummer, um, share my stories, I shared the story of how our story time came to be. Um, and that suddenly kind of took off. People started reading and I realised that people were coming to my website not to buy products because no one was buying products. <laughs> But to read my blog, so my stats were going higher and higher and I could see the readers coming. And then I could that people started emailing me and telling me they loved that post. And and then I just realized, what the hell am I doing? Because this is what I've always done. I've always written. So why am I trying to sell stuff that doesn't even belong to me? It doesn't even, I've got no connection to it. I didn't make it. I'm not a maker. I'm by no means a maker. I'm terrible at that kind of stuff. But um I'm a writer, so 
let's just do this instead. Mm. So I did. <laughs> and it is um, a beautiful, beautiful blog. Um, and I Thank think in one of, one of the um, posts you've written, you say that you write to sort of make sense of your experiences. Mm. Um, is that, could you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So I, I guess if you ask anyone that writes regularly and calls themselves, considers themselves a writer, I think it's not an uncommon way to do mm. things. It's, um, I suppose it offers me a chance for reflection. And I think that's really important just in terms of understanding myself, but also other stuff that's going on in the world. Um, I think it's really valuable to look inwards and this is actually one of the things that I talk about on both of my writing courses is the value of writing from a place of stillness that comes from within you, that it's really important to get to know yourself or if not yourself, then who you used to be. Because if you forget who you used to be, I think you, I think there's real sadness in losing out on that set of memories and more than that, the experiences that shaped you and the moments that meant something to you. That's why I write. I guess I write to remember the moments that have shaped me and made me into who I am today. And those moments will keep on happening and they'll keep on changing. And they might not even be massively significant moments, you know, in the in the bigger world. I, I don't write about life-changing moments all the time I write about my three-year-old being a fussy eater or my um my baby going for walks in the morning you know it's very simple but these small things are what kind of help me feel grounded and connected and make sense of that particular moment and that particular time that had an effect on me and it's kind of both holding on to those moments for memory's sake but also for understanding the impact that they've had on me as a person, or just as a human, what's made me angry or what's made me upset or what's made me happy or joyful. And I, I just think as a writer, it's really important to understand your own landscape before you try and put into words somebody else's completely imagined landscape, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes, no, it does. And I think it goes back a little bit to what you said at the beginning about writing from a place of sort of intention as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think that is a big part of it because it's that intention of knowing that you're kind of trying to uncover a little bit about you. And I think that's also, as a writer, is what makes your writing strong and connect to someone else is that ability to put into words a transformative moment even on a very very tiny scale even if it's something as simple as how I've got my kids to sleep do, do you know what I mean like something really really small but it's on the one hand a very individual moment but it's also there's something universal in it that even if you don't have kids you can take something from it you know just the feeling of peace or calm or stillness or whatever it's it's being able to connect with your readers in a way that's almost invisible because the moment of transcendence itself is so small, um, but it's so everyday and it's so quiet and understated, 
it's something that everyone can recognize and it's what pulls us together and and that to me is the that's my favorite kind of writing is when it's not showy and it's not noisy and it's not drama it's not about one massive major huge life-changing impact forever it's just something really small and it's human and it's real and I think that's what making sense of things through writing means to me is making something real that in turn is also real for someone reading it and that's what to me is just magical when I get emails from readers I don't know halfway across the world who felt something in what I've written um, and that to me is the power of writing and mm. it's why I want to do it and it's why I do do it mm. um, yeah I think I, I, mean, I, I completely agree and I think it's um, I think it's really interesting because I think there is so much talk online about sort of like content marketing and as you said right at the, right at the beginning about giving value and offering advice and help and all of that stuff but actually I don't think that's why a lot of us read and that's not necessarily what what we're looking for or at least we're not that's not exclusively what we're looking for yeah I yeah and I know you've had this discussion online as well Mm. haven't you about sort of where what's the value of blogs and I think sometimes the value is just a really beautifully written piece Mm. it's just something that moves you I mean what's that you could argue what's the value of a book it's the same thing and I I think it's just the word blog carries so many connotations doesn't it I mean it's Mm, an ugly word to begin with (laughs) but there is this under this kind of expectation that a blog offers you something practical um whereas for me I don't know if I could change the word blog maybe I should maybe I should just call it my essays every week instead I don't know but yeah that kind of thing because that's what it is isn't it I mean it's a different you're reading basically reading somebody's weekly memoirs um in a way and that's or essays or thoughts or whatever you want to call them and I think we get hung up on blog either being like oh I went Oh, I went, I don't know, I, I rode my bike into the mountains for the weekend and took lots of photos of pretty stuff. That's a very different kind of blog, isn't it? That kind mm. of sort of, here's what I did on the weekend blog, or this is what's on my bedside table, or um, this is how to promote your business. I and mean, they're all very different things, but they're unfortunately all lumped under the same title. Um, but storytelling blogs or just lifestyle journals or whatever we can call them they're I think they've all got their own values simply in the voice that's telling them and the perspective that they share Mm. um completely and also the I think because I think I found you originally through a blog post that you wrote on why um the minimalist lifestyle and simple living sort of spaces need to be more inclusive um and you said something about how sameness breeds sameness and diversity breeds creativity mm-hmm. um and I guess there is something there as well about the more about offering up sort of you know sharing your stories and and there being a diverse range of stories online as well and how valuable that is yeah I think that is incredibly valuable and I, I think it's incredibly valuable offline as well you know mm. just in the books that you choose to read um the authors and the the different voices and the different perspectives and the different worlds that they can let you into I would almost argue that the books offline are the ones that have more to offer because of the worlds that the the kind of depth that they can Mm. go into which you can't or you don't in the blog world 
Um, but I do think it's incredibly important both to be able to see a little bit of yourself in someone that is like you, but also in someone that is not like you so that you realize that connection, human connection is always there. And everyone has a different perspective. It isn't always defined by your heritage or your background. It doesn't have to be, but sometimes it is and sometimes it doesn't form a choice. Um, and I think it's just so important to allow those voices to be heard because the more voices we hear and the more experiences we share and the stories we tell, I think just the more connection there is, the more equality there is, the more fairness and the more creativity because different while you might not always write about your heritage or your background, because I, I certainly don't write about it all the time, there will be certain things that I see a different way because of it, because of who I am. Um, and those stories don't always get told in the mainstream because the narrative isn't always open to hearing other people's voices. And I think, I guess in a subtle way, what I'm trying to say is, is just that I... I can't imagine a world in which I don't want to imagine a world in which my children don't see themselves in the literature that they read and the books that they read or the, even the TV that they see. You know, I don't want there to be their normality to be one of absence. Um, um, you know, my children are mixed race children. Um, it's very important to me that what is normal is richness and perspective and variety and voices and distinct voices and perspectives that clash and disagree. That's all okay as well. I'm not asking for one big happy family because that's not really going to happen. But just to be able mm. to put up your hand and, and say something or to not even have to put up your hand, just be able to say it. I think that's what matters. Mm. Um to be seen, to be heard, to be read. I think everyone deserves that, regardless of, of who you are or who you know or who your connections are or which little club you belong to. Um, and I think that's what prompted me to write that piece um, was this real feeling of cliqueiness, I guess, mm. which, to be honest, as a woman in my mid-30s, I've had enough of and I don't, I don't I don't think we need to live by schoolgirl rules anymore. So yes, yeah, I think the more we hear, the more we value each other. I completely um, agree and it's sort of what you've just said sort of I, I guess when you're working freelance on a national newspaper, you were sort of having to put up your hand in a way, I'm guessing if you if we kind of elongate that metaphor and then now you're in a place where you don't have to do that. you just yeah. sort of, you just write what you want to write. Yes, yeah. Or sometimes I wasn't putting up my hand so much as being taken into the corner and being told what to do. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, and that's the beauty of sort of blogging, mm -hmm. I guess, that I can write there. I wrote a piece once on the blog about what I'd learned about blogging. And the biggest, my biggest thing that I'd learned was that it's totally up to me. All of it is up to me because this is my space. So it's up to me what I want to write. Um, obviously, there'll be businessy people that completely disagree with that because you, know, you have to think of your audience and all of that stuff. And 
having Pinterest friendly images and all that sort of <laughs> other stuff, um, which I don't discredit. I know there is value in that, but ultimately it's up to you what you want to be creative about and explore and what you want to write and who you want to write for. And I think we sometimes get so hung up on what the audience wants mm. that we kind of lose sight of what we talked about at the very beginning, which is our own intention. Um, because then you're just doing stuff for the sake of ticking those boxes and getting those stats. And yeah, it, then you lose your intention, I think, and your integrity possibly a little bit. It's it's really interesting because I think I, I mean, I'm very aware of saying this as, you know, my whole podcast is based around, you know, doing things differently and, yeah. and going against the grain. But I think I definitely last year got very sucked into the shoulds in blogging and what I should be doing to the extent that I stopped writing because oh, it wasn't what I wanted. I was trying to write what I didn't want to write. Yeah. Um, and actually sort of you know, reading a lot of your blog over the last sort of week or so in preparation for talking to you. I'd, I'd read quite a lot of it anyway, but sort of rereading stuff. And I, it's just, it's been really interesting for me to really sort of like connect back to what it is that I want to say and what my intention is. And and it's just, I've just been thinking a lot of, about it over the last few weeks anyway. Um, yeah. And how I just think most people just want to feel less alone. I think that's why a lot of yes. people read. And yeah. And I think... And, you know, and I think sharing our stories is is the the best or only way of doing yeah, that, really. Absolutely. And I think one thing that I write about in my um, summer writing course, Postcards Home, is the idea of how easy it is for us to discredit the value of what we have to write. Mm. So this sort of expectation that your life has to be extraordinary in order to write about it. But actually, I don't think people are looking for the extraordinary they're looking for bits of themselves because I know that's what gives me strength and solace and comfort and joy and comedy in my life is when I read something that I can relate to or even if the actual context of it is completely unrelatable there is something human in there that draws you to it Um, and it doesn't have to be extraordinary and you can be ordinary I am ordinary and I just write about my ordinary moments and there's human moments in there and it's relatable and when something is relatable you feel understood and you feel less alone just like you said and that that's why I read that's why I love to read first person mm. you know non-fiction or first person essays first person memoirs and things like that because it's a it's an ordinary experience that is moving deeply moving but within that, there is another way of looking at the world as well. And there is value in that. There is value in stepping into someone else's shoes for a little while. Um, because you understand them, but you also get to understand yourself a little bit better as well. Mm. Um, yeah, so yeah, I absolutely agree with you that that you read to be less alone. You can write to feel less alone as well. And again, it doesn't have to be this sort of melodramatic sense of loneliness it's, it can quite simply be something that just brings you great joy um writing brings me great joy and I'm not writing about massively life-changing drama it's, as I've said it's the quiet things that make your life extraordinary anyway I think if we just sort of recognize that as well um it puts a lot less pressure on you <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and it's interesting because I think that a lot of the blogs that I, 
used to read it's it's when sort of when people almost try to go down the extraordinary route and they become say professional bloggers and it loses that sort of sense of ordinariness as you say and and I think it's um I think that's what people are sort of looking for ultimately yeah well I I know it's what I would look for Mm. um you know if I had the choice between a celebrity autobiography version of a blog versus um a really sweet everyday normality I think I'd go for sweet everyday normality because it might not even be that sweet it'll have its ups and downs but I would rather the everyday normality than the celebrity autobiography or the celebrity influencer Mm. I think um just because of what's more real and what's more relatable and um you now have uh, two courses um on writing um mm-hmm. could you tell me a little bit about both of those sure so i have two courses uh one is called the quiet words and one is called postcards home so the quiet words is i have this kind of description of them in my head i have a picture of them in my head actually and they're two very distinct types of writers and um, the quiet words is uh, me at my most serious. <laughs> it's um, it's a quite an intense eight week course, and it's quite. Um, it starts off very gentle, and I'm not trying to put anybody off, obviously, because why would I do that? But it it builds up in layers, and it asks quite a lot of yourself in terms of um, working on those layers to get to a point where you can express your writing in a creative way so I focus on this concept of what I call writing creatively as opposed to creative writing because I think Mm. with creative writing we all think it's fiction and stories and that's not really for everyone whereas I think every piece of writing even if it is non-fiction can have an element of creativity and beauty and a sense of crafted prose to it and that's what I explore in the quiet words so it builds up in layers over the course of eight weeks there's a lot of writing involved um and a lot of reading but ultimately I think everybody that's done it has sort of felt much more connected with themselves as well as their writing they feel like they've because it it looks inwards um so the quiet words you 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 look you start your writing journey on the quiet words by looking inwards first because I actually think that's really important to then be able to write outwardly like I've said before um and postcards home is different it's not quite as intense but it is you you still travel on a journey through it um it's a lot more uh focused on a specific kind of first person writing specific to your memories or moments that have shaped you that you want to put down in paper so it's it's more um a lot more self-exploration but it's a lighter journey to go on it's um well I find it really I find it a refreshing way of looking at sitting down to write rather than being told what to do with writing prompts which I actually don't hold a lot of value by because I think writing prompts are actually quite limiting because you're you're only writing about what someone else has plucked out of thin air and I what I try to do in postcards home is just make things a lot more open you know um that you trust yourself to take the first steps 
in what it is you want to write about because I can't give you that. I can't give you your memories and I can't give you your words, but I help you focus them and I help you shape them and hopefully inspire you to create something beautiful by the end of it. So Postcards Home is spring and summer and it's sort of taking some time out to indulge in a bit of introspection and then work that introspection down into a more tangible way of of writing and quiet words is a more layered journey that starts at the very beginning of who you are and builds up on writing as layers that you would peel and we go through two writing techniques narrative techniques and there's there's a big writing project at the end of it as well so um two very different courses but very similar in obviously the style and the tone because I wrote them <laughs> and uh, they're my courses so, so yeah I I'm quite excited about Postcards Home um I just felt like it was something that I needed to do for myself as well like I just wanted a shake up in the approach to my writing and this was what I needed to hear and the quiet words is what I also needed to hear when I struggled with my belief in writing and my self-belief as a writer so they both have very different ways of bringing you to the same end point which is feeling confident and brave to write and inspired brilliant they both sound um absolutely brilliant um thank you and um i i'm very aware of the time we've been talking for quite a while so um before i let you go i ask all of my guests what's been the hardest thing about living life a little differently for you um the hardest thing of living life a little bit differently has been to be brave enough to keep going even when sometimes I've found it hard with the self-doubt that creeps in. So beating self-doubt, because you're kind of alone when you live life a little differently like this, aren't you? There's not, you don't have a team of colleagues or whatever, and you might have understanding friends you might have understanding partners parents and family but it's not quite the same as sort of being in the thick of what you're actually trying to achieve and do because there's only one person that can do that and that's you um and sometimes I think I'm getting better at it and getting much better at being able to objectively look at the self-doubt and pull it apart and say no I know exactly why I'm reacting like this I know exactly why I'm talking myself out of mentioning my writing course or whatever you know um it's getting easier to take a step back from it and recognize it and then put it in a box or fold it up and put it at the back of my wardrobe that kind of thing um so self-doubt it feels (laughs) is the biggest challenge but the more you confront it and the less you give into it the easier it does get Mm. and I don't think I can't imagine ever saying that like a couple of years ago because self-doubt was quite crippling um but the fact that I can say it is obviously a good thing because you do I think the the more you get used to it and you get to recognize what is holding you back um Mm. and uh, the more you can rationalize things and move forward I think it's um I think that's very true and I think it's also very true that it's not I think I always thought that I would kind of sort of deal with my self-doubt at one point and then that would sort of be it yeah and but it's, it's not, not is it no it's, it's like a continuous thing work in progress yeah I know it's like when you're 
kind of, I don't know, 15 and you think that by the time you hit 30, you'll have yeah. everything figured out, right? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> but actually, now I kind of, I'm pretty sure that we're all going to be grappling with all of this still when we're in our 70s because mm. it's just a different way of hand, dealing with stuff, isn't it? Mm. But it must get better and it does get better because, you know, we take chances and we know we know what the benefits are of taking those chances and those leaps of faith. And I think the more you do it, the easier it gets and the more exciting it is to see where it all goes. Definitely. And what's been the <laughs> best thing for you about living life a little differently? Um, the best thing is actually also interlinked with that self. That is, is feeling more confident, believing more in myself the more I do it. So it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Because the self-doubt is the worst thing. But the best thing is beating that self-doubt and being confident and seeing that confidence grow a little bit. You know, like when you take a step back and you chart who you were 15 years ago to who you are today and it doesn't have to be that you chart it in terms of achievements or so things you can tick off your cv but just in knowing that confidence mm. um that to me is a really really big step because i inside struggled a lot with confidence even though outwardly it looked like i was achieving everything that i had set out to achieve and do I yeah I was not at all confident about it but now I just feel happier in myself and I feel like I don't have to prove everything to the entire world I just have to do what I love and and hold in sight who I'm doing it for which is mostly for me and for my well-being and that everyone else that comes to it like I said they're the extra they're the bonus and that's what makes it worthwhile as well so Mm. yeah it feels like the conversation's sort of almost gone full circle in that sense. It's sort of ending on the um, same, uh, ending on the same sort of thing that we started with, which is really yeah. nice. Yeah, really yeah, nice. <laughs> that's, um, see, that's a good way to write. End full circle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, where can people find you online? Uh, so, you can find me online at my blog, which is ourstorytime.co.uk. I blog every Wednesday. Um, I actually call them my long reads because I only blog once a week, so I make sure it's a pretty good one. So they're nice, chunky, long reads, which again is probably the antithesis of what everybody says that you should, what you should <laughs> blog about. Because I don't do subheadings and numbers and things that come up in Google stuff. Um, so yeah, you can find my prose there, my weekly prose, um, and there's links to my writing courses and to my books. Um, through there and you can also find me on instagram which is possibly the only social media that i'm active on um to be fair uh, and i'm our story time on instagram as well um and yeah I, I have a twitter account somewhere from my journalist days but i'm not very often on it so i think um that's it really <laughs> my website and my instagram <laughs> Perfect. Um, thank you so much for talking to me today. Um, I've really, really all. enjoyed talking to you and hearing uh, sort of like the um, the journey that you've been on and it's been really interesting. It's given me a lot of food for thought as well. So thank you. Thank you for having me. this 
episode, then I'd absolutely love it if you could rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. It really does help put it in front of other people who might like it. And I do a little happy dance every time I get a new new review. If you'd like to join in the conversation, then please do come find me over on Instagram. I'm at FBarrows. You can also find out more about my creative business mentoring packages on my website, www.fionabarrows.com. And you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter, Letter and Notes there as well, in which I share stories and insights from my own experience in living life a little differently. Until next time. Thank you.